0: FAQ.
1: Welcome to FAQ NYC, I'm CMG, here as always with HRS and guest Chris Smith, a contributing writer at New York Magazine and longtime observer of the local scene who's quite literally been high, 10,000 feet and rising, above New York with Governor Andrew Cuomo, even before he supported legalization. Chris has some thoughts on the sudden Californication of the Empire State and the prospect of another national election all about New York values. And speaking of New York values, we'll hear about Harvey Weinstein's legal shakeup and much more with Victoria Bekempis. Let's jump right in.
2: Chris, Tuesday was a uh, huge day in New York. Um, the uh, the Tappan Zee Bridge was blown up. <laughs> <laughs> to make way for the Mario Cuomo Bridge, uh, the MTA board met to maybe derail uh, Andrew Cuomo's uh, plan to save the MTA from itself. And uh, Cuomo himself mixed uh, poetry and prose, I guess, um, in his first state of the state since um, New York has gone solidly all blue and he's starting a third term and maybe looking like every other elected in New York, it seems, to uh, to running for president. Um, and then De Blasio, uh, you know, um, I guess lions and lambs uh, laid together, said, "Hey, that wasn't a bad speech. Uh, things things are starting to change. So it seems like a really big moment when, when when the state has gone solidly blue. The governor's looking at a third term. Everyone's looking to run for president. I'm trying to figure out what's changed here um, and what hasn't. Um, as some of this seems Groundhog's Day. Say um, as some of this seems Groundhog's Day. Say um, as some of this seems Groundhog's Day. Say congestion pricing." And um, bills start passing. Like, like, what is the state of play in New York? And, and what do people who are listening who aren't in New York? How, how should they be thinking about uh, New York values as a, we gear up for uh, two years of a uh, resistance and campaign?
0: <laughs> Harry, the state of play in New York is active. I'm no, I'm trying <laughs> trying to maintain the you know Cuomo uh, speech mode or something for a minute. Yeah, it's a fascinating moment, which, as you well know, has not happened overnight. There's been a lot of uh, lead up, uh, delay, twists and turns to get us to this point. And specifically, you know, starting with the Albany element of it. uh, Yeah, Governor Cuomo yesterday stood up and faced a new reality of both houses of the legislature being controlled by Democratic majorities, something he has claimed he Mm -hmm. was in favor of for a long time, yet didn't do a whole lot to make happen. In fact, impeded at various times. So yeah, we have to remember, I think, or or give credit to a number of the folks and trends that that got us here. You know, people like State State Senator Mike Mike Gianaris, who's been – campaigning and working in the trenches for a state senate majority for a long time. The, the working, working Families, families party. party, which primaried a bunch of mm-hmm. incumbent incumbents and IDC members and won a lot of those races and forced the governor's hand in a bunch of respects. You got to give some credit to Cynthia, Cynthia Nixon, Nixon, you know, mm-hmm. who in the governor's race... Floated, pushed a bunch of the issues that the governor, you know, quickly seized and and tried to make his own, uh, and even De Blasio, and and I think you saw some of that yesterday in De Blasio essentially declaring victory, you know, saying this is what I've been talking about forever for six <laughs> years, and his steps to try to implement that, you know ran into, you know, uh, political and legal trouble along the way trying to funnel money to candidates, you know, for the legislature among other things. But in terms of what I think De Blasio all along has been really good at is recognizing the big picture and seizing trends uh, to digress it's a large part of why he got elected mayor is cuz he recognized the moment. And he spotted this movement both nationally and locally. Here's how de Blasio put
2: it, seeing further ahead than most, when I interviewed him in 2016 about his unsuccessful efforts to flip the state senate back to democratic control two years earlier. I think it's a very interesting New York state problem that, you know, of all places, you know, this could be like California where we we would have the ability to have Democrats have consolidated power and uh, done some remarkable things with.
0: So we're getting, you know, to a sort of Californication of the New York state legislature, where the populace here, you know, the citizenry on average, has been more to the left of our state government. And now Mm -hmm. the state government is kind of catching up. And the governor uh, yesterday, not for the first time. I mean, when I talked to him back in the summer, he was seeing this coming mm-hmm. and, and trying to get out ahead of it. And yesterday was another big step in that direction.
2: Just one more question there. Sure. You were you, you took a state helicopter
0: with the governor. <laughs> Which we paid for with New York Magazine. But I'll, you know, I, want to make that, I want to make that clear. Not New York State, New York Magazine. Correct. Uh, yes, New York Magazine paid for my ride on the state helicopter.
2: And you, you went over the uh, the then remains of the uh, Tapinzi Bridge with the governor and got his twenty thousand foot view on sort of the shift of the party to the left on a uh, corruption right, um, and and the rest of it. And as he's looking down now and, and laying out this uh, the, the, this aggressive progressive agenda as he's putting it and trying to sort of control this, having restrained it for. The, his first two terms in office, like, can he? I see this new state senate, which is, for Albany, like 30 years of change happening Mm -hmm. in one primary season. Um, These legislators seem impatient and, like, they're passing the easy stuff very quickly and the idea that maybe they can force his hand. De Blasio, of course, wants a millionaire's tax. That's been his vision from jump. It still hasn't gotten it. Cuomo's talking about a commuter tax. And, you know, it's actually been the Democrats who've killed that in the past. When Bloomberg wanted it, it was Shelley Silver Mm -hmm. and the out-of-state Democrats in the assembly. Like is all this going to happen and is upstate going to uh, rebel if that's the case, having lost their, their last hold on political or economic power with the state senate?
0: Yeah. Uh, the helicopter ride gives me a, a, a nifty uh, segue, I guess, flying over the bridge, which yesterday, the old one being imploded. Boom. Thank you. Sound effects here. That's, you know, <laughs> uh, we still don't really know how – He's paying for the new bridge. right? There we go. Right? Talk about it. So this, you know, to to be symbolic or, or, you know, grandiose about it, is true of the governor in a lot of respects. You know, he will lay things out, appear to be taking a direction. And then the follow through really matters. And particularly when it comes – to money, okay? Right. So he's taken what appear to be a lot of low-hanging fruit kind of liberal support positions in the past few weeks, everything from banning plastic bags to uh, voter registration, making mm-hmm. that easier. You know, these are things that make sense, should have been done a long time ago, and don't cost a hell of a lot of money, okay? Now we're going to get into things like a commuter tax, mm-hmm. where people have a lot more hesitation. We're going to get into things like school funding formulas, which the governor talked at great length yesterday about something that's important and, and necessary. You know, uh, funneling more money to poor schools that that can use it. His belief all along, and I and I have. Uh, suspicion uh, with some evidence that has not changed that the real impediment to redistributing redistributing i can't talk (laughs) as the uft the teachers Mm -hmm. union that ultimately they will get in the way of this because all they care about is what ultimately teachers are being paid and if you start dictating on a state level where the funding goes, that messes with the uh, equal distribution of money to teachers, their members. Right. So, is he really going to push the UFT this time? You know, uh, he's never been able or willing to do that in the past. State legislators, he, in Cuomo's view, have a lot of um, juice in incentive. To you know distribute money locally and not have it be dictated from the governor's mm-hmm. office is that dynamic going to change?
1: Well I mean I think that it'll be interesting to see you mentioned the California californication of New York State uh, the LA teacher strike might give us some indication as to what Cuomo might think of in his relationship with the UFT I want to just back up a little bit Chris now that he has unified government, who do you think is really going to hold his feet to the fire is it going to be these new young impatient, um, representatives? Is it going to be people like you and the media? Is it going to be de Blasio? Like, how are we going to ensure that the things that Cuomo spoke about yesterday, this $175 billion with a B um, set of initiatives is actually going to get through?
0: Uh, good question. And I think we're all trying to figure that out. And that was a lot of what you heard from the governor yesterday was him trying to process where the new pressure points are going to be mm-hmm. you know you certainly have uh, some obvious folks who have more power like Andrea Stewart Cousins okay okay
3: New York State, State Senate majority, majority leader, leader Andrea, Andrea Stewart Cousins
0: Carl Hasty
3: Assembly speaker Carl Hasty
0: who the governor in you know his lead up to all this thought could be maneuvered to be a moderating force in Cuomo's view to hold back some of the spending. Uh, whether he's able to position Hasty in that respect it remains to be seen. Yeah, the media is certainly going to have to hold his feet to the fire. You saw in small instances yesterday some demonstration of, you know, a larger dynamic, which is, you know, a newly elected uh, – city representative Julia Salazar is on Twitter saying that the marijuana uh, legalization proposal isn't far enough, fast enough. You know, that it, and so that's, you know, there are people now with online constituencies and the ability to move voters and opinions in ways that are not new, but are more powerful all the time. I think the governor, at least in the short term, is still going to be very much responsive, as he should be in in raw political terms, to old power structures like the unions. Mm -hmm. You know, he he threw out some things yesterday – That sounded good in terms of rent regulations, but they were also Mm. somewhat balanced by throwing things to the building trades in terms of work rules and living wage and other things that are expensive. Governor traditionally has raised a ton of money from the real estate industry, right? So he talked about uh, vacancy decontrol. But he didn't talk about, you know, what people call the eviction bonus, which uh-huh. is an even yeah. bigger issue. You know, so how far is he going to go in in uh, antagonizing or or moving one of his traditional bases of power in in the real estate? real estate industry. I think that remains to be seen in the short term. I think that's still who he's very responsive to.
2: Mm-hmm. They became the biggest single donor to his uh, now half-failed, it's a quality party, mm-hmm. incidentally, the, the real estate industry. So it seems to me that, that that Weber has suddenly has a tremendous amount of pressure on the governor. So he, he was open to charter schools. He's shifted significantly on that, speaking of the teachers union. When he's talking about the MTA, Labor costs and and the, the TWU seem like the missing yeah he has that not equation. pushed on that
0: at all right
2: and, and then in this seventy in this vast vast budget uh, you know with the billions so that's not counting the authorities and all these other offline books he's talking about a new seven hundred fifty million for the economic development groups across the state mm-hmm. which I believe are where a lot of the uh, the money that, that's put people who have been close to him. In prison and on their way to prison <laughs> exactly. came from and incredibly that just seems like or sorry, seven hundred and fifty million like a rounding error right. um at this point. It's he still seems to control a lot of uh, of money in the tempo of things. But so definitely. much of our law gets
0: decided in the budget, right? Which is sort of unique right. here. And you know, I'm still doing my homework, but the details to state the obvious matter. He talked yesterday. About closing the LLC loophole, uh-huh. which has enabled him and legislators to raise an enormous amount of money with very little accountability. Some of the reading I was doing today says that that loophole in the budget language is not really closed. You know that it's doesn't it doesn't go as far as the rhetoric yesterday.
2: It's significantly tightened, I think.
0: Yeah. But, okay. Good. Let's hope so. Yeah. Um, but there are, you know there are other things like the and we touched on the MTA and the governor yesterday at great length outlined the history of why no individual is really responsible yet he <laughs> yet he didn't end it by saying give it to me right. you know the buck stops here i want it it's mine right so you know where does that go
1: so walk our listeners through Kind of what a third term for Cuomo looks like. You know, we, we've we seen in the past, third terms aren't usually the charm for a lot of elected officials, not really for Bloomberg, not really for Cuomo's dad, right? And so it seems like he and de Blasio have just gotten a shot in the arm. Both of them seem like they had a severe case of senioritis, and now all of a sudden— they're just like, let's do everything. You know, it's like like the Adderall <laughs> elections, right. you know. Yeah. They're they're just super excited now. Are they front loading because they're about to leave the state and start campaigning? Are they just genuinely interested in their legacy? But especially for Cuomo, when you have this third term where it's just like, okay, you were technically in your ninth year of governance for just as a governor, not right. even his other elected positions, right? right? I mean, we know he's been raised in captivity. <laughs> He's been in Albany since he was 18 years old. This is the only thing he knows, right? right? Albany and Queens right? and motorcycles. But what what do you think this third term looks like for – is it genuine? Is he trying to fight off boredom? Is he worried about his legacy? Do you have any sense of what this means for
0: him? Uh, All of the above. Okay. The social policy stuff is genuinely in line with his beliefs. You know, whether he thinks the speed, the pace at which things get done and and voters are willing to go along with it, you know, that's debatable. But at at heart, whether we're talking about gender issues or prison reform – those are things that he does believe in. Okay. I, I have no qual. And he's also evolved
1: that. over time to be a little more progressive even on those issues. Correct. Because okay.
0: he is a very deft politician. Yes. And you talk to people around him and they say, Well, you know, and this is not new, you know, isn't this what we want in elected officials? You know, this has been his brand, so to speak. People who can make government work and be responsive to where the public is going. Right. And so, yeah, his his positions may have evolved over time, but so has, you know, the citizenry, you know, mm-hmm. and don't we want mm-hmm. an elected official to Who can evolve. process that? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not bored. He is by no means bored. Uh, he, as you say, has spent more than his entire adult life in and around Albany. He's very. Very you know, deep into the arcana of not just the people but the numbers, the district. Ultimately, to digress for a second, I think that's why he never runs for president is that he's so mm-hmm. deeply enmeshed in, in, in the New York thing. Not that he wouldn't love to be president. But that he knows at some level he's really good because he's so deep into the weeds of this stuff that he – in a way, he can't be on a national level. Mm. So he ain't bored and he does very much care about his legacy. He wants to be remembered as the greatest governor ever.
1: I'm the man. I'm the man. I'm the man. I mean can you flesh that out because I I feel like the shadow of his father and his father's third term is always – Oh, in the forefront ever of his mind. Present. You know, Certainly. and sort of this, this naming of, renaming of the bridge, but also, like, what did my dad really do? You know, we always think of him as a great statesman and a right. great orator. Right. But as far as nuts and bolts and bridges and tunnels, yeah. what did Mario Cuomo do? I mean,
2: prisons. Pr- <laughs> Pr- yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: And so, how much of his father's legacy is really factoring into some of these decisions right now?
0: Uh, you know, not. The specifics of, you know, uh, am I going to – I'm to so go
1: into his psyche of like his daddy Oh, well, I'm happy to. No, I mean
0: that's – it's important and it's relevant. And yes, in the big picture, you know, he uh, reveres his father and thinks his father was an enormously successful governor, yet that his father's greatest legacy – is words, you know, and is shaping the discussion and is uh, leading the party or the state in moral terms. And he's not wrong about that for mm. the time of Mario Cuomo. But that he Andrew Cuomo, you know, has always been a much more hands-on uh, nuts and bolts under the hood kind of guy that he loves as one of his longtime senior advisors, you know, told me Things he can point to, you know, there's a bridge. You Very know.
1: Trumpian, if you will.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and you know, you can dispute a lot of the specifics, but things that generally have wider benefit than things Trump mm-hmm. has done, mm-hmm. and and I'll you know I'll stick up for him to an extent on that. It's one of the reasons he's been so slow to get involved in the subway is you literally can't see a lot of it, mm-hmm. and he feels like you know he doesn't get the reward either psychically or politically that mm. he does from a bridge or an airport. You know uh, that's short sighted in a lot of ways. I'd have to go back and look um, what the margins were when his father was reelected for a third term, but I feel like. Andrew's coming in with a much greater head of steam, at least in terms of popularity, and you know the all the total weakness, almost disappearance of a state Republican Party. Um, you know, which can be good and bad. There is going to be infighting certainly among the Democrats that he has to deal with, uh, but he loves this, and he very much would like to run for president. We touched on Gillibrand essentially declaring. Yesterday, if de Blasio's also out there running around nationally in Iowa or elsewhere, it's going to be very hard for Cuomo just as a competitive person. He's always cared deeply about being New York's biggest Democrat, and they're getting out ahead of him. You know, he's the guy
2: who's very concerned about who's riding whose coattails. Famously. Exactly, yes. And Tuesday, you, I mean, the day opens. Very busy day with De Blasio and the Washington Post uh, saying blah blah blah. And by the way, screw you, local press. Uh, here, here is yet another rundown of my uh, progressive agenda for New York, but but you know, and nationally. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then the MTA and then Cuomo's State of the State, which is his seventy-five minutes in the uh, in in the spotlight and with all attention on him. And then Gillibrand uh, on Colbert that evening. It was right. sort of an incredible day for New York values. So I think people were a little shell shocked that 2016 turned out to be such a uh, New York City oriented race. Mm-hmm. Uh, are we potentially in for some sort of repeat of, of that come 2020? As this is
0: starting yeah. to shape up. Yeah, and I'd like to apologize to the rest of the country in advance for <laughs> all the New York characters who who are going to be involved in this. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Gillibrand's an interesting case she's very ambitious she's very tough-minded you know she's been able to go from someone who as a lawyer worked on behalf of tobacco companies as a congresswoman you know was pro gun rights to now you know she's got if not the most the close to most liberal voting record in the senate
1: yeah and she's also – she's the number one person who's voted against Trump's nominees. I mean she's right. not budged on that at all.
0: She's you know, very good at raising money and right now is not well-known nationally but thinks you know digitally and traditionally you know, TV media can advertise her way out of that into the first tier of candidates.
2: I think she's going to – I think about Hakeem Jeffries who is a significant figure nationally and is talked about as this guy who's a comer in New York. He's very good at raising money, uh, sort, sort of conservative institutions like him a lot. He's a credible Democrat and he's thought about running here and hasn't. He's, he's not someone who's run on a bigger stage mm-hmm. and so it's really an, an untested proposition. Gillibrand you know, gets appointed she, – she wins this incredible race to get into Congress but then she's appointed to the Senate and has never run a competitive race statewide, in right. a primary or a general. And so the idea of running for president—I know we're in this time of Trump and uh, a new amateurism—but it's, I mean, it's it's a huge leap from from what she's done. I think,
0: right? Yeah, and you know, the context. Every man dreams the same thing, right? But she's
1: also shown that she's a little sharper than people initially thought. You know, I think. Shout out to to um, David Patterson, right? I mean. The Democrats said you can – there are what, 28 million people in New York State? You can nominate whomever you would like, not Kirsten Gillibrand. Mm. So like any of the 28 million except for her and he chooses her.
0: I, w- I wish I could believe that Patterson saw her growth coming, that that was you <laughs> oh, yeah. know, his motivation. But uh, OK. Well, I
1: mean maybe we should have him on and ask them just sure. because yes. she's actually I think overperformed – Based on what a lot of people thought yeah, in 2000,
0: Overperformed or underestimated that, you know, we didn't. Yeah. Well, I mean, we hey, <laughs> I mean yeah.
1: speaking as a woman, <laughs> we know a little bit about underestimation. <laughs>
0: should, should
2: David – we'll ask him. But I, I th- I've always thought he should have appointed himself and that he wasn't oh, cut always. out to be an executive.
0: Always, and He would have been always.
2: a very good senator.
0: Yeah. Forever. Yeah. Our forever senator. Yeah. Yeah. And to circle back and then maybe this is a little inside baseball but talking Mm -hmm. about Cuomo and third term and how is this going to play out?
1: Our listeners love inside baseball. uh, All right. Play ball.
0: He's been fortunate and he's had a hand in this to some extent but he's been fortunate to be governor in largely good economic Mm -hmm. times. Boom, Mm -hmm. boom,
2: boom, boom. Mm -hmm.
0: Exactly. We may be headed into a downturn Mm -hmm. in the next couple of years. That will change the picture.
1: Just really quickly going back to his father's third term in 1990. Yeah. He was – Mario was reelected with 53 percent of the vote against Republican Pierre-Andrew Rinfret's 21.35 percent and conservative Herbert London's 20 percent. Classic.
0: yeah. Yeah.
2: Herb London, and, just passed on, by the way. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And Andrew won with 56 percent, I think, this time around. This last time. Mm-hmm. So. He,
2: he, he outpaced four years ago against what was initially considered more credible competition. Like yeah. Zephyr Teachout was a name who almost no had no name recognition coming in. And thus, speaking of bar setting, overperformed. Mm-hmm. Cynthia Nixon, with name recognition in some ways, underperformed. I think they were both actually replacement level and it was, it was an issue of where the yeah. – uh, the bar was getting set for them initially with expectations. Yeah,
1: and, well, and this last time, just so you uh, sure. our listeners know, uh, Andrew Cuomo was was reelected with fifty nine point six percent of the vote, which is. he
0: would have cited to the third decimal point oh. <laughs> if, if he had been here. Exactly. Anyway, but to the Mario Andrew thing, one of the lessons Andrew takes from his father's experience about a third term, uh, yeah. If you're if you're Anywhere near getting bored you shouldn't be doing it mm-hmm. and Andrew is not getting bored w- you know and this is not peculiar to the Cuomos but in a third term you start to lose valuable uh, staff advisors mm-hmm. yeah. who get burned out who go who want to go make money in civilian life. And that's a danger, you know. Mm-hmm. So far he's kept his core team pretty much intact. But he's, you know, in the in the campaign in the past couple of years had stumbles that made him look more off his game. Mm-hmm. You know, even in the past week or two when he was making that joke, and I'm making yeah. air quotes here about, you know, back off. I'm going to file a Me Too complaint. Yes.
1: Space. We need space.
0: I'll
2: bring you all up on charges under the Me Too movement.
0: You know, that are just tone deaf and weird in ways that he wouldn't have been earlier on. That was
2: the same day that the newly elected Democratic leader of the uh, state Senate, Stuart Cousins, the first black woman also to lead the place and the first man, woman in Albany's three men in a room, pledged to hold hearings on harassment, Mm -hmm. which were missing from, from Cuomo's Women's mm-hmm. agenda. So she, she, she makes that promise. It's the first time a, a leader has done that in Albany since Mario Cuomo in 1992. Literally an hour later, Cuomo comes out of his office, says, back up, me too charges. And then the next day explaining this says, they were touching on all sorts of parts of my anatomy. I was making right. funnies.
0: Yeah. It's incredible. I mean- he, he's not an old man, but I think it's still an open question how quickly Cuomo adjusts to the new reality mm-hmm. of – Women in power, of the internet, and the power (laughs) structure shifting, and you know factions in a democratic majority in the legislature. I I don't think he knows the answer to those things either.
1: Right. I think he's trying, but I mean, he also knows a very old Albany.
0: Right. And he, you know, he's still of the mindset you you know dump a bunch of advertising on television, and that's old school and effective still, maybe some. But, he's but I mean, got we saw a, how
1: Cynthia Nixon shook him up in a lot of ways. I mean, correct. From, from because NYCHA she was an asymmetrical
0: marijuana. kind mm-hmm. of attack that right. ultimately, yeah, she lost by a landslide. But she got under his skin because she came at him from different directions. And
1: much of what we're seeing right now is a result of things that she put on the table. I mean Andrew Cuomo hadn't visited NYCHA in over three years and he was HUD secretary. Sure. So I mean yeah. <laughs> the now, fact
0: that – He also was you know, trying to rattle – De Blasio's cage oh, there, and you know there's a yeah, lot going yes. on. As we, oh, know.
2: isn't it? Is, is there any chance? Last thing here for uh, De Blasio and Cuomo to uh to put down the uh, vendettas it was called and be friends now?
0: Well, with you, uh,
2: with blue all over.
0: You would think, in a sort of logical, common sense way, <laughs> it doesn't. If they're both and they are nationally ambitious doesn't do either of them any good to be fighting amongst themselves if you're trying to sell yourself beyond new york city you know the governor uh, made this mta proposal yesterday the mayor responded saying he still doesn't think this formula the governor is proposing in in paying for the mta is fair to new york city so you know that could get sticky but uh, the governor's Gonna accept more responsibility through MTA. Uh, Mayor's gonna have to give up some ground. So, really
1: quickly, where do we go with the L train? <laughs> <laughs> Nostradamus Smith. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: You know, ag- again, I don't with uh, a lot, for a lot of reasons. The governor would not have done that photo op at midnight in the tunnels if he hadn't already decided there was going to be a different plan, you know, if he wasn't going to change the shutdown in some respect. And this gets back to him making surprising missteps. Yet – he either hadn't thought about or realized the MTA board has to approve this mm-hmm. thing, that there'd been previous studies showing that this uh, different construction method has some real risks to it. You know, maybe, dangerous yeah, risks. maybe he can bulldoze all that, and maybe this so ultimately, yeah, ultimately, maybe this really is a better plan
1: that no one thought of in the past. Correct. And the year. MTA, oh. you know, has with a lot of problems. The same
2: consultant who came up with the earlier plan. One of the main consultants that came up uh, with the earlier plan and studied what's basically Cuomo's plan and said that's not going to work is now who's backing Cuomo's plan? Just speaking of the uh, the industrial transportation complex, sure.
0: But I mean, is he really going to stand up and say, "Nah, the governor is wrong"? You know, we're not <laughs> we're not going to do it a different way. Uh, not and have a state contract. He's not
2: right, and and that's what seventy five billion dollars buys you. However, right. asymmetrically people snipe
0: and and Jim Dwyer and the Times has done some good writing about this. You know, all of this is not to say. Everybody, including us, should have spoken up sooner saying, well, why are we really shutting the thing down? And does a complete year and a half shutdown actually make sense? I
2: I think Dwyer is making a similar set of bets as a columnist and thinker as Cuomo is as a politician, which is one side of the bed is overcovered. There are these interesting questions to ask, and you sort of take the other side of the argument. There was this pile-on with Cuomo. And the truth is we likely won't know the answer if this plan proceeds for 25 years, right. whether this was a good or, or efficient idea. So so offering that argument is, is intriguing. Um, I, I think it's a it's a hell of a risk to, uh, to take. Agreed. Any, uh, any last words for us, Chris? Thank you for, uh, for stealing some time on a busy morning. Uh, let's go Mets? I don't know. <laughs>
0: The Mets. Uh, we're less than a month away from spring training, so that's got to make everybody optimistic, you know. Um, no, I, it's a fascinating time. You know, the state of the world in many ways is very screwed up. We're approaching a month of government shutdown mm-hmm. at the federal level, which is just obscene and stupid. But as a political reporter, you know, in New York, uh, it's a fascinating time uh, to be alive.
1: Right. So do you have any trips planned with the good governor?
0: I do not. uh, But stay tuned, I'm sure. uh...
1: And just miscellaneous, how much is a helicopter ride?
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, I want to say that it was like 1500 bucks. Okay. I forget, but you know, was it ride? was an expense report that I handed in with some trepidation. <laughs>
1: Tippy-toeing in. No, I mean, obviously <laughs> we agreed
0: to do that in advance and told them we were going to pay in advance. It was, uh-huh. it was around $1,200, 1500 bucks, something like that.
1: And how long was the ride? Half hour. Okay.
0: But it was cool. I'll say that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it's the first time I'd ever been on any helicopter, and the state has a nice one. So oh. you can taxpayers say, have bought a nice yeah. new helicopter. Right.
1: How many people can fit in the helicopter?
0: <sighs> I want to say six. Okay. Yeah, there were four of us at the time. So, so you can say this that – This is a riveting podcast. <laughs> <but> <laughs> I'm uh, just curious. Helicopter capacity. I'm sure that the <laughs> listeners are just like eating we're this We're trying up. to
1: create a visual for our listeners.
0: There you go. Okay.
2: <laughs> Before legalization, you were the first one to
0: get high with the government. Whoa. Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. I feel like he's taken other reporters either on the state plane or too good to check. I'm sure I'm sure he has. <laughs> uh, but yeah it it was it was interesting. and yeah, obviously theater, you know, he was uh, constructing the whole thing down to the last detail. You know, we had the pilot circle back so we could get an even better view of the Tappan Z and the Mario Cuomo and, you know, it's all pretty calculated. But it was cool. <laughs> I'll admit that.
1: That's great. Chris, we so appreciate you. And we also appreciate your writing. So thank you so oh, much for coming.
0: Thank you. Mr. Met 2020. There you go. Mr. Met
1: 2020. 20- <laughs> are, we are a Mets podcast. I'm just going to put that out there.
0: Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's pathological, but I admit to right. it, Mets fandom. <laughs> we like the, the heartache. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Chris. That was fun. Thanks, Chris. That was fun. Thanks, that was fun. Order! That was fun. Order in the court!
2: So, Victoria, we've been uh, sort of talking about big cases with political implications and doing A's and uh, making jokes and so on, and then you were telling me about this murder case that's going into jury selection that is just... Uh, Sort of jaw-dropping and jaw-droppingly terrible. Um, what's the story?
3: Yeah. Um, so the story involves a man by the name of Roderick Kovlin. Um, in 2009 on New Year's Eve, uh, his estranged wife, Shelley Danishhevsky, was found dead in the bathtub of her apartment. Um, At first, uh, it appeared that it was an accident. Perhaps she had slipped, fallen, hit her head, um, you know, drowned or simply, you know, died from a head injury. And, um, you know, as such, her parents who were very observant, you know, of the Jewish faith refused to have an autopsy since, you know, it is frowned upon. And then several months passed. And as the investigation continued, anomaly after anomaly surfaced. Um, Interestingly, one of the biggest red flags was that the day of, uh, you know, of her death, prior to her death, she had had a keratin hair treatment, which made people stop and say she would have never taken a bath if she had had a keratin hair treatment. She wouldn't have messed that up. So that was one red flag. But, you know, the big thing was... Um, she had been allegedly planning to make sure he didn't get any of the money in her uh, in her will should anything happen to her, which life insurance policies, other assets. We're talking about $5 million. And, of course, there was the acrimonious divorce that was taking place, um, including very nasty allegations of spousal abuse um, you know, a custody battle over the children. At the time of her death, he was, in fact, living across the hall, um, you know, because, you know, they were not in a good place by any means. So it wasn't until late 2015 that he was arrested. Um, shortly before, he was poised to inherit about half of the money after years of court battles over whether or not he could access it. But um, there are still more twists and turns in this case, um, uh, you know, for example, there were allegations that he was trying to frame his nine-year-old daughter, who discovered Shelley's body.
1: Court papers claim he tried to divert suspicion away from himself by framing the couple's nine-year-old daughter alleging that Kovlin accessed the notes feature on the young girl's Apple email to make it appear if she confessed to the crime. Now it said in part, quote, I heard her go into her room and run the bath, so I went in and argued some more. And she told me to go back to my room and I got so mad, so I pushed her, but it couldn't have been that hard he try to
2: marry the same daughter off when she was like 13 in Mexico? Yes. I read.
3: Yes. Um, that, that is uh, another allegation that prosecutors have made in court papers. And I, I guess the idea behind this alleged attempt was that if she were to be married off, then the same restrictions would not have been on the money do to her Uh, it's kind of complicated how the will and money process works with this but effectively that he would allegedly have had access to the money that you know was tied up in court proceedings and that he also lost access to when her uh, when his parents took custody of the kids now uh, yet another twist are allegations that he um, was trying to plot to kill his parents um, again trying um, to, to try and get access to the money and his kids. Uh, some of the ideas he allegedly kicked around were inspired by uh, Dexter and Breaking Bad, for example, trying to allegedly poison his parents with, uh, you know, ricin was one of the things, you know, uh, supposedly even researching it in an area library. So
2: I've got a question for yeah. you here because th- this seems like uh, these are bad allegations Yes. Um, of things you shouldn't do. And it's jury selection right now, right? Yes,
3: that is correct.
2: What are the jurors getting asked? Um, I, I recently went through jury selection. I was trying very hard to be a good citizen, and um, I was like, uh, "By the way, I, I write for the papers. <laughs> I write about Brooklyn all the time." And uh and like, "Could you be fair and impartial?" I was like, "Yes." You know, do you have any like like criminally related stuff? This was an assault case that that, that would stop you from making a fair judgment no and then they laughed at me and sent me away so i didn't do jury duty but uh you know it's an interesting process and in how they're trying to screen people out i'd love to know in a case this this fraught and wild like like how the the prosecution and the defense are trying to screen uh, the people who might decide.
3: Of course. Um, So we're on day three of jury selection now. So there's still a good amount of weeding out um, that's happening. Um, Of course, one of the things that's coming up is, you know, the judge asking, can you stay away from reading about this case? Can you stay away from going on social media about this case? So a lot of jurors have already raised their hand and been like, hey, I probably can't. A lot actually claim to work in social media or public relations. And I'm not exactly sure how that many people in a pool can statistically work in social media. But that's come up a lot.
2: On at- my jury, everyone was about to have a vacation.
3: That's also come up too, the also, yeah, the- And glamorous foreign travel for work. I don't mm-hmm. know where all of these jobs come from where you get sent to Dublin for a week, but cool.
2: And then the one lady got stuck in the jury was like, I really have to be at work. And the judge asked her a bunch of questions about her schedule. So all the people were like, I'm going to be in France. They got off. I was like, I write for the news. I got off. And this lady's like, please, I'm going to lose my job. And um, uh, the judge was like, well, well, are you able to rain check? And she's like, it's complicated. I'm off the books. And, and then she's like, sorry. It was rough. I also noticed that the defense attorneys who were former prosecutors were way better dressed than the uh, prosecutors. <laughs>
3: Uh, well, uh, well, I won't offer any sartorial commentary. Um, I just wanted to mention another interesting thing that kept coming up, which was pretty – I mean not surprising but pretty har- harrowing was that a lot of people were like, hey, I've seen domestic violence. I've been a victim. I can't be impartial with this. So that was also – Something and then a lot of people said that because you know they had close ties to the Jewish community, they didn't think that they could be impartial either. And again, this was something that came up with the autopsy issue. Um, so there's there's a, that you know that as well. So it's it's been an interesting process.
2: This is in Manhattan,
3: this is in Manhattan Supreme Court, yes. Mm.
2: Like, like if, you, uh, if you're a defense attorney, is there like an appeal to a case like this potentially? And that if you get someone off in a high, first off, if somebody's willing to go to trial, they're going to pay. Secondly, if they're going to pay and you get them off, like, this can really be a way of uh, making a name for yourself for other people who allegedly have done like uh, really terrible things. Like, is that part of the math that, uh, that, that, that attorneys think about?
3: I think that attorneys always weigh the pros and the cons of taking any type of case, you know, just like, you know, taking any job. Um, But I think that there is definitely appeal from a business standpoint of trying to take on, you know, both high profile cases, seemingly unwinnable cases. Um, And, you know, as we've seen, that can also sometimes backfire for an attorney, Um, for example, um, there's, you know, been rumors of disagreements between Ben Brofman and Harvey Weinstein. Uh, Brofman has said he's withdrawing from the case. So, you know, what are the implications for an attorney who, you know, either from his own volition or you know, his client's decision, you know, winds up leaving a case that could make his or her career.
2: Sorry, just one other question for you. Is all this terrible stuff that I've been reading bits and pieces of in the tabloids, are the jurors going to hear all of this? Or
3: Thank you for reminding me to bring that up. Um, so, yes, the judge overseeing the case has said that, um, you know, these crazy anecdotes uh, n- n- not getting in. Um, you know. uh, however, uh, prosecutors are saying, well, if Covlin takes the stand, we want to be able to question him on it. And so uh, decision remains to be seen with that.
1: FAQ NYC is supported by a grant from Civil, a blockchain company aiming to reshape the business of news, and by listeners like you. We recorded this week at the McSilver Institute, where we're headquartered. That's the McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research at NYU. A special thank you to Chris Smith of New York Magazine for coming on today, and to our producer, Jordan Gaspare, and assistant producer, Samantha Gatsik. And shout out to Adam Kamara, who set up the equipment at McSilver and is mixing the show this week. Remember, if you have to ask, tune into The Fact for some answers. Review us on iTunes and reach us on social media to discuss it all. FAQ. F-A-Q.
3: <laughs>